Please stand as you're able for the reading of the scripture this morning. It's from the Gospel of John, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, and then 19 through 28. There once was a man, his name John, sent by God to point out the way to the life flight. He came to show everyone where to look, who to believe in. John was not himself the light. He was there to show the way to the light. When Jews from Jerusalem sent a group of priests and officials to ask John who he was, he was completely honest. He didn't evade the question. He told the plain truth. I am not the Messiah. They pressed him, who then? Elijah? I am not. The prophet? Nope. Exasperated, they said, who then? We need an answer for those who sent us. Tell us something, anything about yourself. I'm thunder in the desert. Make the way straight for God. I'm doing what the prophet Isaiah preached. Those sent to question him were from the Pharisee party. Now they had a question of their own. If you're neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, why do you baptize? John answered, I only baptize using water. A person you don't recognize has taken his stand in your midst. He comes after me, but he is not in second place to me. I'm not even worthy to hold his coat for him. These conversations took place in Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing at the time. This is the word of God for the people of God. Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. On Thursday this week, at the beginning of a choir rehearsal, I invited us to talk about the sounds we associate with good news. How would we describe the sound of good news? Would anyone here uh, describe it like... You know the sound I'm talking about? The sound of dial-up internet? Anybody ever associate that sound with good news? (laughs) When I was growing up, dial-up internet offered a wider world. Access opportunities for the marginalized to connect. But it didn't take long for that wider world, for that uh, access, to also become a source of pressure that turned a dial up on our lives. Social pressure to connect, to take positions, the amplifying of divisions, Relentless consumerism. Yeah, the internet has brought these things into our life as well. And these days when access to the internet is something that we take for granted, we expect of others as a baseline 
for engagement with the world in our community as well as the world that is wider. We're struggling to understand what authority does truth even have, especially online. What authority does truth have online? Who are you? Are you a prophet? Are you the Messiah? What authority do you have? We find today that our online lives reflect the dilemmas we experience as witnesses in our society. Oftentimes we have found that probably the safest thing to do is actually not speak up at all. Whatever we see, whatever conclusions we draw, it's good to keep them to yourself and not post them because you never know when that post might come back to haunt you, right? Mm -hmm. The safest thing is not to speak, but to what? What do we use the internet for mostly? Not speech, most of us. But, hmm? Gather information. Gather information, right, to watch others, possibly police others, and to buy and sell. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I remember that even from the earliest days that I was dialing up to get online, that there were basically chat rooms and there were places to buy things. Mm -hmm. The safest thing for most of us, average folk, is not to speak, but to buy and sell. This is the opposite of our call to be witnesses to the gospel to be counter to a culture of transactional relationships and to be people who speak up about what we have witnessed and what we know has happened to us. In the book that we're reading, uh, along with this series written by Will Willimon, he writes, the gospel is not something we come up with by ourselves. Good news about Jesus is not derived from within us, but it is testimony to something that has happened to us. It is testimony to something that has happened to us. And it is good news. We may know the dangers of speaking up and speaking up in public places and speaking up in ways where our words have permanence, but we know too what has happened in our lives. I know you know. That's why I can use that word, we. Because throughout my time with you, people have come to me to tell me how you have seen God at work in your lives, how you have been changed by an encounter with good news. You have these stories. Some of you have shared your stories with me, and I know that Therefore, in our community here at Wesley, we have good news. Yes, it's true. We face big questions about the future, about how we as a church will tell the story of what has happened to us collectively in our worship and in the way that we serve. 
And it is also true that in the wider world of fear about how to make these choices has turned more than one congregation toward a more consumerist mindset. I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you in plainer words what I'm referring to. In the weeks and months to come, you're going to be invited to articulate with particularity in specifics who you believe we are called to be. And like John, it's going to involve saying no to a lot of things. Yes, it is good to be this way, but no, that's not who we are. Yes, it is exciting to be this way, but no, that's not who we are. We have this call and this task, and we know because what ha- of what has happened to us. But of course, we live in a culture that dissuades us from saying things like that, from making commitments like that. And so even though that's the invitation that lies before every single community of believers, whether it's a single household or a megachurch, many of those communities have withdrawn from that invitation. And instead, you know, hire professionals to produce something that everyone can come and watch. But we have said that's not who we want to be. As scary or as difficult as it might be, we want to be more like John. We want to be engaged. And throughout this series, I've been looking up, what does that word even mean? (laughs) I've been looking up the different definitions and really trying to explore them. And this week, I was wrestling with these definitions that saying, say that uh, being engaged or to engage is to move into position so as to come into operation. To bring together preparatory to fighting. One of the um, games that my family once would gather to play at times like the holidays is risk, like the old school with all the little pieces of plastic and different colors all over the board. Yes, right? And that game is mostly preparing. <laughs> it, is, it is a game that requires incredible fortitude and patience because most of the game is about preparing, building, moving things into position so as to come into operation, right? And that is part of the work that we are called to do, and that's part of the work that John is doing when he's being asked, what are you here for? Who are you? And he says, I am a voice crying out in the wilderness. I am part of what this world needs in order to move into position so that when the one is recognized among you, you will know how to respond. You won't miss it. In fact, in the reading that we are focusing on this morning, John says something incredibly provocative. He says, you are not the only ones being prepared. You are not the only ones who are being moved into position. In fact, there is one among you whom you do not recognize. God is already here 
Christ is already among us. But we have not yet recognized. Mm. John says the way stands among us. God has already boldly showed up in our lives, closer than our comfort. So will we ourselves in this time and place be able to recognize God at work and respond with the same kind of boldness? Just as our reticence uh, has grown over the years to share who we truly are in public for a, like, online, to make commitments that could come back to haunt us, we know that if we respond with the same kind of boldness of the God who decides to be born like us in the midst of our neighborhood, who shows up among us, moving into action, preparing to act, to come into operation, if we respond with that kind of boldness, we know it's going to provoke conflict. Right? Especially with a world that does not want to take time to give its attention or to stop shopping. We know that we will move into our lives the tension of trying to carry a true story that has meaning and importance to us, to people who are not ready or willing to hear it. Not ready or willing to take the time to give the attention or to stop shopping. But we also know that if we were to practice this kind of boldness and the worst thing happened, rejection, like so many other lessons we have learned in us, we would find that the anxiety about the, the rejection that has not yet already happened would kind of pass away. You know? When you take a risk and you're in it, oftentimes it turns out to be survivable. And in fact, the promise that God has for us is that it will liberate us for abundant life, for freedom, for joy. This is good news, remember? This is good news. The commentator David L. Bartlett says, the church freed from anxiety about its own fading authority has a better chance of bearing witness to the authority of Christ. There is a bigger hope, a bigger promise, a greater good that is present in our lives. And if we get some of these symbols out of the way, we can spend more of our time celebrating that directly. We can connect. Yeah, there's a good reason to have trepidation about this. We're called to witness by the scripture this morning. John himself is embodying what it means to be a witness, to talk about what has happened and is happening to him in his life and in the lives of the people he interacts with, what is going on in the world today. And that word, 
that the, in the Greek that the New Testament is written in, that word witness is the, is the word martyr. The word witness is the word martyr. Yeah, there is risk that there is some kind of life we will lose if we take the risk of being so bold. With the connection and visibility that we have before the wider world, to live boldly, we will have to choose to tell a story that only we can tell about what has happened to us and about who we are. This will mean letting go of other stories and letting go of tales of self-protection and cliches of manipulation. We won't be able to hide in something that is proven and tested. We'll have to connect with the real stuff of what has brought us to life and has brought us here. Mm. We will have to tell the story that only we can tell, which means letting go of a lot of things. Taking the risk to dial up and connect in the possibility that there's someone out there who needs us. There's a provocative um, concept in the chapter that we read this week based on this scripture. And the concept was that given that God had all of these choices about how to come and meet us and has employed all of these different strategies in so doing, God still decided not to become incarnate without the witness. God asked for people to tell the story, even as God knew that God was coming into position for operation. Our witness, our offering of our own lives and our own stories matter. We can dial up that voice within us that has a truth and authority because it is ours. That's what God is inviting us to, to dial up, to dial up. Invite us to think about what that means in your life as we listen to this anthem from the handbell choir of the Father's love begotten. It's come to my attention that not all of us know this song. It has this melody that moves in unpredictable ways and goes to unpredictable places. And the lyrics tell a story about a truth that is so big and so particular, we don't even really understand it. But it comes to us with the truth of our experience, and so in it we have hope. And the refrain is, evermore and evermore, no matter what. So let us listen for the voice of good news.